Hey, what's going on? Thanks for checking out the podcast. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me J-Bay. And this podcast is for reps and sales leaders who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate it when they go to write a cold email and the prospect doesn't respond. So if that's ever happened to you, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we got an episode with my good friend, Jeff Bajork, and we're going to be digging into some sales rants. Let's get to it. So a couple topics we're talking about today that are pretty interesting. And if you're just listening to, you know, these sales rants, this series for the first time, I meet with my good friend, Jeff Bajoric. He's another sales consultant, trainer, coach, you know, that sort of thing. And we kind of every other week schedule some time to catch up. And we ended up talking about a lot of things we thought should be recorded. (laughs) So these are just rants. These are things that are kind of top of mind for us that we're thinking about. In today's episode, we're going to bring the fire on this one. So we're going to be talking about dressing the part. So should you dress up as a salesperson, especially in a virtual environment, even if you're selling to prospects that are generally pretty casual? We're going to talk about pain and problems and the over-focus, especially in prospecting on the pain, on the problem versus focusing on values. We talk about New Year's resolutions. We both have very strong opinions on that and this concept of if you build it, they will come. So is it good enough to just put yourself out there and create content or is there a promotion aspect to it? So appreciate you checking out the episode. I have one favor to ask before we get to it. If you enjoy this podcast, I would love if you left a short, honest review so that we can continue getting this in front of other folks exactly like yourself. So you can do that at blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. That'll take you straight to our iTunes page. If you scroll down to the bottom, you click on leave a review, and I would love it if you did that. Let me know. If you do it on LinkedIn, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast. So let me know. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Dressing the part. So <laughs> I really want to get your take on this because you dressed up today for this, man. This is kind of nice. Thank you. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this? Because you see kind of a lot of different perspectives and angles. And I feel like it gets blamed a lot on like, oh, it's an you know old conservative, like old school thinking to think like I have to dress up a little bit or present myself or be th- even be thinking about that. What are your thoughts on this? I think we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Jeffrey Gittimer taught me this. He said, look, dress in the way that makes you feel the best about yourself right? If you feel the best in a three-piece suit, then go get it. And if you feel best, you feel more fluid, you feel more yourself when you're a little more relaxed, then the important thing is not how you look. The important thing is the work that you're able to do. But I think there's something about dressing that helps the people who see you understand the level of seriousness that you bring to the table, the level of commitment you have to the project, your level of detail orientation, right? Like know your audience, Look, if you're selling to a bunch of SDRs who show up for work every day and every day is casual, whatever day it is, then great. You can fit in. There's a point to that, a purpose that that can be beneficial for you to dress down. But like, look, I sell to executives. I sell to people who are judged on the way they dress. Therefore, they judge others on the way they dress. So I have to know my audience a little bit. And, you know, I think the way you feel when you dress a certain way adds a lot to your attitude, your mindset, your swagger. 
COVID helped us all get a little more casual, yeah. you know, working from home, like why get dressed and no one else is going to see me. But I think what is missed is the work that you do because the feeling that you have when you dress a certain way. And secondly, the the impression you make on other people. You know, what's been your experience? Well, I do. I've gone back and forth on this. At the beginning of COVID, I would have said it's total horseshit that you would uh, not wear sweatpants at home while you work. I did that for a long time, man. Very long time. And my thinking then was like, who cares? Right. Like people can't even see that I'm wearing sweatpants. It's comfortable. I'm working at home. It's not going to make that much of a difference. And you know what? If you had a really shitty webcam and you were doing meetings, it probably wouldn't make a dramatic difference in your closing rate, but it could affect it a couple percentage points. And I also would feel very self-conscious about how that looks to the, like, I would be thinking about all the things I don't want to be thinking about. (laughs) Right. You know, when I'm selling to someone. So I kind of think about it like that. I like what you said around, what do you need to do to feel good about yourself? But I I think that people look at this in extremes and it's very binary. Like you get the dress up or you don't. It's like, dude, it's a total Venn diagram. Like, what do you like? What feels really good to you? What are sort of the accepted things in your industry? And how could you step it up? Just like one point one point above what everyone else is doing, like little stuff like that, I think makes a huge difference subconsciously for you and for the prospect. And people do judge a book by its cover. However messed up that is, like you just got to accept that that happens. And when you look like a slob and don't present yourself, that's going to matter to certain people. I don't know if it should or shouldn't, but I don't even really care about thinking if it's right or wrong because it doesn't really matter. That is just what happens. Is that the hill you want to die on? Do you really want to force the issue about whether or not you have to wear a shirt with a collar, Yeah. right? Or I'm working from home, so it doesn't matter what I wear. Like, listen, what is going to set you up for the best performance? Ask yourself that. And look, I did it for most of the summer. I had a bunch of t-shirts made with my logo on it for the plausible deniability that I could wear a t-shirt and, oh no, it's got the logo on it. It's cool. And when it's hot outside and when I'm doing a bunch of other stuff in between meetings, like running around with my kids, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But you know what? This is not the temporary situation with COVID. This is something that we're rolling through and we're barely halfway through. I really believe we're barely halfway through it. So, okay, let's get serious. Let's reassess. What are we trying to make happen here? How many sales would you lose by being underdressed versus how many sales you could possibly lose by being overdressed? Because what, what you made the prospect feel like you paid too close attention to them. Like they were too important to you. Come on, like show up like an adult, show up like a professional show your prospects, show your colleagues, show yourself that you're taking this seriously. Look, I tell my kids, even on the weekends, like, look, part of self-care is getting up, getting dressed and taking care of yourself, brushing your teeth every day. I know we don't have to go anyplace. I know it's a snow day. I know you want to hang around in your pajamas, but part of self-care is dressing the part. So where's the argument? Where's the argument? Yeah. And if it's a money thing, dude, this is the best time to go shopping. We're talking about that too. Oh. There's so many sales, not to mention that you know, Black Friday was this last Friday, but I mean, there are so many stores you can literally get a shirt with a collar on it for 10 bucks or, or go to Goodwill and get something. Right. You know, there's no shame in doing any of that either. But I think it's like this, if you've ever felt like you weren't taken seriously because of your age, especially, uh-huh. which I've felt like that a lot, um, even at my age now, sometimes depending on who I'm talking to, if you've ever felt like that, dressing up a little bit will do so much for not only your confidence, but people just looking at you and taking me a little bit more serious. And if that's all it takes to get a little bit better results, like why not do it? <laughs> 
Yeah, I've been asked to come in and, and sit in in presentations to kind of increase the gray hair quotient on the team, right? I can tell you what, a sport coat and a new shirt's way cheaper than bringing me in. That's for sure. Yeah, It matters. The details you pay attention to, they matter. The impression you make, it matters. And it just, it's not something to write off. It's just one of those things that's been casually written off because 2020, do better. Yep. Love it, dude. 17 seconds. Good timing. Your turn. Sweet. I got this new iPhone and it likes to shut off on me. The screen likes to shut off on me. So the timer, I can't, I got to look at the phone. Anyway, the podcast listeners are just eating this up right now. This is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Subject to Jason, when you're targeting, when you are, maybe if you're new to a market, right, you've got a pretty good idea of what your target market looks like, the people you serve. Maybe you've got an avatar. Maybe you just have a little bit of experience with the kind of prospects you've helped in the past. This sounds like me. It is still scary to go out there and say, look, I know I can help these people, but there's so many of them. How do I not waste my time? How do I know that someone is going to respond to my outreach? Like, there's so many factors that I've thought of. There's so many that I know I haven't thought of. I mean, what are some of the things that you do that you advise people and companies on to, you know, do a little bit of research, a little bit of homework into those prospects that may resonate a little bit more with your messaging? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. And like, I don't know, for some reason right now, like kind of a dating analogy came to mind. And I think that like when we're prospecting, we could be so problem and like pain focused, right? We help people that are having this hair on fire kind of pain, remove that pain. And statistically, when you look at it, I mean, Chet Holmes did a big study when they came out with that book. I forget what that book is called, actually. The Ultimate Sales Machine. Yeah, Ultimate Sales Machine. Really great book. Timeless. And one of the things that they talked about in that study was something along the lines of 97% of the people you reach out to are not going to be experiencing like a hair and fire pain that they're looking for and also looking for a solution. Right. So that means when you're doing outbound, most of the people you're interacting with are probably not looking for a solution. Therefore, they're probably not experiencing a really strong pain. So to bring it back to the dating analogy, like I think you got to think about what would want to make a person in this case, go on a date. Well, I met my wife through Tinder. If you listen to any of my content or watch stuff, you know that. We didn't go on a date because like I wasn't dating at that time because I was experiencing all of this pain or these problems with my social life or my date. That wasn't why I was doing that. It was not pain driven right. in the least bit. What made me really want to go on dates with people and specifically my wife was like a commonality we had in values where it's like, this looks like someone that is my people, so to speak. Yeah. She had a picture of herself playing golf. So I'm like, oh, she's like maybe cares about physically taking care of herself, right? That's something that's important to me. Yeah. Seemed fairly intellectual into reading books, like that sort of stuff. And that was a big value for her. And when we tie that back to prospecting, it's like, how do you find out what a prospect actually values so you can point out a commonality in values? And that's how I see people actually landing big meetings with you know, big companies. Mm. And you'd be surprised some of the work we do with nonprofits, like think about the value prop of a nonprofit. That's not a pain-oriented sale. Hey, Whole Foods, we want $200,000 from you to help us with our mission to do this. Like, like the nonprofit has way more to gain from that than Whole Foods or insert any other big business. But when we pointed out, I can see you care a lot about sustainability and we care a lot about keeping shoes and clothes and all that stuff out of landfills and getting it back to people that actually need this stuff. So there's a sustainability aspect to that. Bam, all these brands want to talk. And what I found is like when you're prospecting to executives, the same sort of thing works too. You can't just say, hey, we can help with this hair on fire pain because they're not 
experiencing a hair and fire pain. Right. People connect more often over commonalities and common interests and common purpose than they do over pain. Yeah. Right. I mean, pain is something that you can relate to someone with, but it's different to say that you will connect with someone over that. And nobody buys a Bentley automobile because they're in pain. Nobody buys Patek Philippe quarter of a million dollar watch because they're in pain. There are a lot of things that will get the job done in both of those situations for a lot less money, but there's something about the prestige. There's something about the rarity. There's something about the club. What it says about the network that you're joining when you have one of those pieces is that's the commonality, right? And so when you're looking for things, and particularly if you're looking for a longer term relationship, like, is this someone I'm going to get along with? Or am I just filling a need? Any port in a storm, any hose in a fire Right. But like if we're looking to build something together, what do we have in common? What can we build on rather than what is the quickest fix, the most cost effective fix to solve this short term problem right here? I think you're really onto something because as salespeople, we're looking to build, particularly in enterprise selling and just anything that is more than purely transactional. You're looking for a way to build on something. You're looking for a way to build longer term. Is there a foundation there or are you just a quick fix to a problem? I really like where you're going with this. And there's three sort of actionable things there you can think about in terms of a framework. You can look at what is just applies to the business or the person, mm-hmm. what they brag about, accomplishments. Do they talk a lot about landing new clients, uh, opening new locations, recent rounds of funding, whatever it is? Like that tells you a lot about what a company values, the things they brag about, mm-hmm. where they spend their money. So if you're selling software, are they already investing in marketing or sales solutions? And then lastly, looking at like, what do they educate about? What do they care a lot about educating their customers about? Their content, right? What are they talking about? A lot of that will tell you what that company values or that person so that you can connect that to what you care about too. You don't have to read too far between the lines. You just have to read. I like that what you're saying is contrary to what a lot of people have been trained to do mm-hmm. in that it's like, read to see when they just got funding because now we know they have money. Okay, let's pounce. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Or let's read the 10K and let's see what's in there. Let's see what what are they struggling with? Okay, that's fine. But what are they putting out there for other people? What do they want other people to see? Not what are they aware that other people will find if they look, but what do they want people to see? You know, your wife wanting people to know that she likes being outside. She likes to do active things. She's not going to sit there and just Netflix and chill every day. Like that's just not her style. That That is eliminating a certain part of the population. Companies do that too. And by the way, I'm not saying there doesn't need to be a problem in the sales process. You usually got to find a problem of some sort, yep. but they might not be thinking about that and not even know what it is. We're just talking about getting the conversation. And when you're connected, they'll start to bring problems to you. Yep, absolutely. All right, man, your turn. I want to talk to you about goals. So we're at that time in the year where people start focusing a lot on New Year's resolutions. (laughs) What are your thoughts on New Year's resolutions, actually? (laughs) I don't have them. I don't have them. Me neither. (laughs) I gave those up a long time ago. I've actually had a problem with goal setting for a while because Mm -hmm. the scope of my goal setting has changed since I opened my own business. And some of the goals that were very legitimate didn't feel very legitimate. So I didn't want to call them goals. And some of the goals that I would have traditionally set didn't feel like they were appropriate because so many moving parts were moving. It felt like every time I'd try to pick a target, it would be an inappropriate target. So yeah, I don't have a New Year's resolution. I started setting one word intentions because I think they're broad enough, but still focused enough. It just, it becomes more of a mantra, but I mean, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Like, What, what do you do instead? 
Well, I love the way you described that first off where it was like, it's almost like a feeling of overwhelm. Mm. There's like so much that I want to do and focus on where do I get started? And you end up doing little bits of everything. And I imagine it, it feels really discouraging, oh. <laughs> right? You get a couch in your office I can lay down on. <laughs> yeah. What I love about intentions though, is it fits really in line with this identity piece, this values piece that I talk a lot about. And it's more about like optimizing your day to day. You know, like, I think it's good to have a target of like, what do I want? You know, maybe I want to write a book or maybe I want to make a certain amount of money so I can afford a house or whatever. But it's like, well, what do I need to be doing on a daily basis? And like, how does this fit in with what I value? And when you can connect it down to like what you do on a daily basis, like with an, you know, a one word intention, for example, I, I love that approach. Freedom for me was a big one this year because it's like, we built a business in our first year that did financially pretty successfully. Yeah but it didn't allow us to have any freedom, like away from it. So it's like freedom was like, okay, every part of our being on a day-to-day basis is like, are we doing what it takes right now to have what we call freedom, right? right? And whatever that definition is for you. I do like the one word intentions. I do like this concept of like figuring out like what the vision is long-term, not thinking too much about the specifics and the numbers, more about like what I want the data to look like and what I want from that. And then working in like six week sprints. You know, how do I prioritize all of the things I could be working on right now, all the habits I could be building, skills I could be working on and say, hey, well, if I only had to pick one that was going to have the biggest domino effect on everything and everything else, what would that one thing be? Yep. And then work on that for six weeks and then spend two weeks after that taking a little bit of a break, kind of doing the day-to-day and planning out the next six-week sprint. I've been really getting off on that approach in the last couple months of like reducing the amount of things and just like, let's work on optimizing one thing at a time and make it about like how that fits with my identity and my values and what I want from my day-to-day life. I really like that approach because six weeks is long enough to get something done, but short enough to where you won't be caught off guard by a changing situation, right? Like I think about 2020 we kind of heard of this thing called COVID and then we was not going to be an issue and then it was going to be gone real quick. If I committed to a year-long process and if every single one of my goals was committed to a year-long process and all of a sudden I get almost halfway through the year before I realize how much I'm going to be impacted by it, that's crushing unless you have the resilience to stand up, dust yourself off and say, you know what? I'm not just giving up on that goal. Actually, I'm not giving up on that goal at all. I just know under the current circumstances, that goal is no longer realistic to attain. That's not on me. That's okay. Control what you can control, right? Every six weeks, really every eight weeks, you give yourself six weeks to focus and you get these bursts where you can be really intense You can really push yourself, do a little bit of work. And then in that two week kind of downtime where it's, I even hate saying maintenance mode, but you're just, you're keeping everything moving, but you're looking forward to the next project. Take a long weekend, do that thing that allows you to recharge so you can do your best work for that next six week period. In addition to being able to do, to maximize your best work, you're also giving yourself an opportunity to reassess what that work should be focused on. If every six weeks you had a new chance to have a New Year's resolution, you would stick to it. You'd be a lot more effective with it. And you would also have a manageable enough period of time to change with the current situation. 
And the people who have done the best this year through COVID have been able to remain fluid with their situation, not because they don't set goals, but because the goals were set on an appropriate enough timeline to actually be executed and still feel like you can be nimble. Your six-week framework, I'm probably adopting that. I don't know how I'm going to yet, but it inspired me to rethink as I go into 2021, you know, what do I want to do? Of course, I have big goals. Yeah. Big goal number one, keep the business open. Big goal number two, I'm probably going to set a revenue target for the first time ever. Because I think that's something that I can actually take a different kind of action to this year. Have you thought about your goals and are you willing to share them right now, putting you on the spot? Yeah, sure, man. The big thing that we're focused on is really simplifying and using a framework called Five Ones. You know, the guy that created a lead page is Clay Collins, I think is his name, kind of came up with this concept. But it's like part of the Five Ones is like only focusing on one service offering Hmm. for one year. So one service offering, one year one audience, one marketing channel, one sales channel. So it's like really dialing it down to like just the stuff that I'm doing that right now that's working on LinkedIn and with webinars on our email list. And it's all about our prospecting bootcamp. So for me, it's like, how do we really double down and make that our thing and make that the best it can possibly be for the people participating in it, the best it can be for how we deliver it, how we sell it, how we promote it. That's like the one thing in terms of like what that looks like Yeah, I mean, we'd like to get 40 people coming into that program per month is sort of what that looks like from a financial standpoint. So you can kind of do the math on that. It's a thousand bucks a piece. Time's up, dude. That's our thoughts on goals, guys. I love how much sense that makes. And I love how terrified that makes a lot of people to hear it. Oh, me too, dude. (laughs) Yeah. All right. On to the next one. If you build it, they will come. Jason, that movie might be older than you. Yeah. It's close. But... There's this idea, we've been taught this and put good stuff out there, people are going to find it. Mm -hmm. If you can build a better mousetrap, the world will be the pathway to your door. We have far past the point of diminishing returns where just putting good content out there is going to get comments and going to get people to be attracted to your brand. I will happily raise my hand and say, I am someone who has fallen prey to that logic And my audience is not of a size that I believe reflects the content that I produce. And people who find me like, where have you been? I'm like, over there waiting for you to come find me. And I think there are a lot of people doing that. And it is not a meritocracy anymore. Maybe it was when there were only a handful of people blogging once a day or once a week. Now everybody's being encouraged to microblog on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on wherever. And the value of content is less than zero right now. I firmly believe that. If you build it, you better take it and put it in front of somebody or they're never going to find it. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you 100%. To me, the creation is like 20% of it. The 80% of it is, let me get on every webinar I can find, every podcast I can find. I'm going to talk about it on LinkedIn. I'm going to share it directly with prospects. You know, if you're a salesperson, I'm going to one-to-one message you on LinkedIn and say, I wrote this post, go check it out. I had you in mind when I wrote it. I think that the sort of fallacy, if you build it, they will come that like, hey, if the product's really good, it will kind of sell itself is that when you have that approach and people aren't really engaging with it, you actually don't get feedback to make it better. And when you create content in a silo and you write posts or podcasts or webinars or whatever kind of content, eBooks, and you don't get feedback on it, I hate to tell you this, it's probably really shitty. And it's not because you didn't put a ton of effort into it. It's because you haven't gotten feedback from the people that are actually going to be consuming this. I mean, I can't tell you how many versions of the reply method. And I'm still coming up with like versions of how to teach it better based on the feedback that I get from what doesn't resonate with certain people. 
Yeah. It's gone through like literally half a dozen different iterations of like the acronym, even what the acronym stands for, how it's taught, the framework that it's in, what people need to have in order for the reply method to work for them. I mean, all of that stuff, if I wasn't putting it out there constantly and talking about it, I would never have gotten that feedback. And that's what I think you need to ask yourself with content is who am I doing this for? Hopefully the majority of the reason why you create something is for the people that will benefit from it. And hopefully you get something out of that, obviously, right? I think you need to have both, but hopefully there's that piece. Because if you don't care what other people think, then yeah, just build it and they probably won't come. (laughs) You know? And your mom will think it's great. Yeah. (laughs) I think there are people kind of coming around to that. I think there is a huge difference between attention and recognition. Okay. Um, You can get people's attention if you're everywhere all the time, but do they want to seek you out? And so like, there's this balance there. You've got to create stuff worth people seeking out. Yeah. Right. Like, are you someone worth talking to with something worth talking about? Do you have ideas that stand up? Do you have ideas that will stand the test of any kind of scrutiny? And are you putting them out there to be scrutinized and not just press send and it goes out to every platform? Do you have a small handful of people, maybe your own trusted advisors, your own colleagues you say, hey, look, am I full of shit or is this any good? Right. And then you take it to the market and you put it in front of some prospects and say, look, I think this can help you. And actually, while I would love a meeting with you to discuss this problem, I think I can help you solve. I really would just like your objective opinion on whether or not I'm on the right track. Yeah. It's a great way to diffuse a prospecting situation where people are, oh, great, it's another sales rep coming up. We used to do that all the time, selling to surgeons. Like, Doc, I know you've got an opinion on this implant. I just want to hear it. I'll never ask you to buy it if you tell me to get out of your office, but I'm not here to ask you to buy it. I'm here to ask you what you think of it because I trust your opinion as someone who's representative of the other customers I need to call on. So let me be clear about my intentions here and put it out there for scrutiny. Put your ebook in front of people. Don't just set another trap in a click funnel scheme so that people will, oh, while I have my wallet out, I guess I'll give you more money. Like that's not how it works. If you're trying to prospect and get your message out there in front of people, you kind of need to test whether or not that message is hearing or is worth hearing. And you're not going to get that by just publishing another landing page. Yeah. How are you thinking about this for 2021, the getting the people to see your stuff? I'm thinking about something kind of similar to your five ones, but I typically put out a big piece every year and I drive people back to it and I've streamlined my own content. Even um, on a weekly basis, I write one big piece and then I record a video on it. And then I record a short video for the daily sales tips podcast. And then my posts throughout the week will direct people back to the blog and into the community. Before I start doing more webinars, before I start doing more guest spots on podcasts, I have to figure out what I want people to do. And what do I want them to do as a result of being inspired by me, right? I want them to join something. Do I want them to buy something? Do I want them to just click for more? And I don't have that totally figured out yet. But if I look back at the last three years, I've put out an ebook or a white paper each of the three years that have formed the foundation of my platform. And I want people to go check that out. And then I always invite them. Hey, look, I want to know what you think. I mean it. Here's my email address. I respond to it. I'm not just a talking head. I'm creating this stuff with you in mind. I need to know if it resonates. So I don't know if the timing is going to work out this year for me to write another big piece, though I have one in mind and actually already kind of fleshed out a little bit. But there's still a lot to be said about prospecting, the five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting and and addressing this problem of the pandemic with when it goes sideways. So I am going to take it to more people, though. I'm going to put myself in more positions in front of more audiences. 
I'm going to actively seek out podcasting opportunities rather than just saying, hey, come to the Y and the Buy or mm-hmm. come listen to my bonus episodes on, on Jason's Blissful Prospecting podcast. Yeah, I think that I know we talked about that. It's cool to hear how you've adapted so quickly, you know, from our conversations too around that. Because, uh, dude, there's nothing more disheartening, man, than having something you put your heart and soul into and, and then you're just people aren't looking at it. Not because they don't find value in it. It's just at that point, a, a numbers game, you know, a little bit in terms of volume. It almost makes you wonder with salespeople too, is there opportunity for you if your company's not doing that, the marketing team's not doing that already and creating these partnerships and, you know, collaborating with other companies, like non-competing companies, you could do that as a sales rep too. I did. Yeah. You could totally do that. You could create content together with people and make videos and post stuff on LinkedIn or whatever. There's all kinds of collaborations that you could do that, that really wouldn't take up much time that would be mutually beneficial. Always did that. I'd have reps that stood in operating rooms with me. We didn't sell competing products. We saw each other regularly. We had relationships. We'd be willing to put um, a good word in for each other. I mean, that's no different, right? I mean, it's not on a webinar scale, but orthopedic surgeons don't watch very many webinars, right? Where I came from. So, you know, just how can you collaborate in that regard? How can you get exposure to someone else's audience? Even if it's not one to a thousand, it could be one to one. If all you need is one, it's okay. I like your idea about collaborating. That's really what we're doing as as podcasters, as, you know, other thought leaders in the space. It's, hey, let's do this webinar. Let's reach a lot of people with this. Let's put it in a place where people can find it. But you don't just say, here's my webinar and you flip the switch. You promote the webinar. You send messages to people. You let them know that something valuable is coming their way. They should pay attention to it. There isn't enough of that happening. Yeah. God, that could be a whole freaking podcast, dude. Good. So my takeaway, man, is it sounds like, you know, having big content pieces, this is something I want to focus on more next year too, is having something bigger to send people to, you know, like a book, you know, and then being able to talk about that thing and, and that sort of stuff and, and making it like very singular and focus, you know, with your content versus like all this random kind of stuff that there's no kind of rhyme or reason behind your, the content that you're creating. And you have it too. So I think, you know, some of this, maybe it's just about packaging because as I look at your LinkedIn videos that you're doing with your frameworks and your overhead cameras and, and all that stuff, like that's really, really cool. Maybe there are three or four of those little things that you can just put into, you know, call it an ebook, call it a slide share, call it a a video. It could be a video course in your community. Mm -hmm. There are little things that you can do to just package those that will make it feel like something bigger because at the same time, how many 300 page books can you read in a year? right? It's hard for you to read them fast. So if you put something out there that has small enough, simple enough impact in concepts and you put them together, it feels like something bigger, but it's just the right size. Here's a, an appropriately sized plate full of smaller portions, right? And I can take what I need from each piece of food on the plate. It's going to mean something different. I don't know where this analogy is going, by the way. It just it came to me. So here we go. But like here, bite-sized portions, right? So this is an easy to digest concept. This is an easily digestible concept. On their own, they don't feel substantial enough, but you put four or five of them together and all of a sudden, oh, we really got something here. And you know that's what reply is, really. I mean, it's five individual concepts that work way better in concert with one another than they do on their own. That was a fun one. Before you go, make sure to check out Jeff's He's got a website and he's also got a podcast and membership community and all this kind of cool stuff, but he puts out a lot of really great content for free. He has a podcast called The Why and the Buy. It's on my list of top three sales podcasts that I listen to, so make sure to check that out. He's got a website, Jeff Bajorek, that's B-A-J-O-R-E-K.com. 
He's got a bunch of free content on there. You can grab some of his books for free. He's got a membership community. There's all kinds of cool stuff. So make sure to check out Jeff's stuff. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.